but if you, thank you, elders, for inviting me to, to be here. I appreciate the invitation, and, and I know so many people in this congregation, uh, and, and I'd love to just mention every name and tell you how, how much I love you and appreciate you. But, but let's just turn to First Timothy chapter 4. I, as you get older, you get more emotional. I'll probably start crying if I start talking about people in particular. In First Timothy chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And let's uh, to really center in on these passages. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and 6 through 12. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, Now the Spirit expressly says... That the latter time, in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Let's pick up at verse six. If you instruct the brethren in good thing, these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith. And of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather to godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor. And suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Again, be an example to the believers in word in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and purity. Now notice, first of all, that the Holy Spirit reveals to Paul plainly that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. And I guess the first question that we have is, well, what about these latter times? Well, the latter times seem to be the time when the church was established in Acts 2, until the second coming of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that's the latter times. And during this time, Christ will continue to reign on his throne in heaven. In our text, Paul is simply saying that throughout the last dispensation of the world, it is certain that there will be times when apostasy will occur. Why are we so surprised when that happens? That some people will take advantage of other people and lead them from the faith. It's going to happen throughout these latter times. And this apostasy will be brought forth by the devil. He is the one behind it. But he uses the agency of deceiving spirit, spirits who spout doctrines of demons. Well, who are they? The deceiving spirits are simply false teachers who often in really the first century, even in our day and time, 
They often claim to be inspired. I got this from God. Listen to me. And they will lead brethren to depart from the faith. They're very skilled at what they do. They're typically very talented. They're typically people that have strong personalities, that have charisma, that have great ability. Those are the ones that lead others astray. I love, the first time I heard D. Bowman preach was in Jacksonville, Texas in 1979. And I'll never forget, if you remember D. in the early days, he, you remember he had the big, long Elvis sideburns? And I said, what a great communicator. And I, but I, I'll never forget what he, taught, what he said about false teachers. He said, brethren, and he, I think he even stomped the podium. He said, you got to be careful about people that have long sideburns and slick suits. <laughs> that stuck with me. Because he's right. What Dee was saying is you search the scriptures to see if those things are so. But that is the attitude and heart of a false teacher. They love the power. They love the prestige. They love the praise of men instead of the praise of God. The faith here is the whole doctrine of Christ, which is often used interchangeably with the word, the gospel, and the truth. And these false doctrines are carried out by those who serve the purpose of the devil. And they serve the purpose of the devil not only in words, but actions. He's saying, beware of them. So how do they carry out the purpose of the devil? Well, they speak lies and hypocrisy, we see in this text. The, the false teacher is a play actor who theatrically presents lies to the brethren while claiming to give glory to God. My wife, Christy, and my whole family is here. Christy and Reagan and Stephanie and Madison and little A and uh, Brooklyn and uh, Mishaya and her boyfriend Connor. What a great thing to have your whole family here. But Christy was a one-act play uh, teacher. And she would always try to emphasize to their, her actors to get into the part. And, and a lot of times they would overact. They'd be over, over, overly theatrical. And that'll just kill you in context. They had to be themselves. Reagan did well through his years. Michelle did well doing that. You believed the part. But that's what hypocrisy is. It's a play actor. Those that have hypocritical motives in this context are the false teachers. They pervert the truth. And they deceive others for self-aggrandizement. And then secondly, they carry out the, the purpose of the devil by allowing their conscience to be seared with a hot iron. And a seared conscience has no ability to discern from good and evil, and that's what makes them so effective. It does not bother them to teach false doctrine. 
It's something that has been seared away a long time ago. They're insensitive and void of feeling. And this allows them to have no boundaries in hypocrisy and wicked behavior. But I guess the question that begs to be asked is how can we overcome these false teachers? Well, first of all, we need to be good servants of Jesus Christ by instructing the brethren of the specific doctrines of the false teachers which lead to apostasy from the faith. When you hear something that is not true or on the edge of not being true, a red flag should go up. And then we need to come to them directly and say, what did you mean by that? People need to clarify what they mean. Anytime you train young preachers, you need to train the young preachers to be clear about what they're saying. It's okay to say, don't misunderstand me. This is not what I meant. This is what I meant. We need to be precise in our words. We need to be so clear. How could anybody miss that? We do need to make the complex simple to where people can understand the Word of God. But the false teacher is one that tries to make it complicated. They leave that out there. Say that statement that's on the edge of apostasy, but they are not willing to go that far sometimes. And people like that, I tell them, own it. That's what you believe, say it. You might not be faithful to the Lord You might be withdrawn from. You might not be able to preach in in what we call the non-institutional church of Christ. But own it. Quit being false. Be clear what you believe. Quit leaving it out there. When we preach and teach the gospel, it needs to be plain. It needs to be clear. It needs to be precise. It needs to be the truth of God. And Paul was specific in his denunciation of the various false doctrines of the false teachers. And then we need to be nourished by the truths of the faith and closely follow the good teaching we have received from God's Word. We need to reject godless myths. That's just falsehoods, ladies and gentlemen. And I love the the New King James and, and old wives' tales. That's just silly superstition. And we need to train ourselves that godly exercise is more profitable than physical exercise. Now, don't misunderstand me. You know, some of us, we try to exercise every day. But I guess the question that we need to ask is, do we read and study the Word of God every day? Do we exercise our mind to the Word of God? Because godly exercise is profitable... What does he say? For all things and prepares us for an eternal life in heaven. But what motivates us to continue to exercise ourselves to godliness in this life? It is our hope of heaven in the living God who is the Savior of all men. Caleb read the passage about for the joy that was set before him, 
Jesus endured the cross, not despising the shame. Well, what was that joy that was set before him? Ladies and gentlemen, he was going to die and be raised, and he was going to ascend to go to heaven to be king of king and lord of lords. What is the joy that's set before us? It's heaven. Jesus is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe in God, desires all men to be saved, but only those who continue to come to him in obedience of faith will be saved. That never changes. And Paul wants Timothy and us to receive his word as divine authority from God and teach them to others. And Paul also wants Timothy to be spiritually mature in order for others to take him seriously. Sometimes we just need to grow up. I was recently in a discussion with somebody about uh, progressive thought. And I told that person, all the years I was in the education business, I had several professors that say, Larry McClenney, you're in an enigma. Have you ever been called an enigma? Uh, and I, uh, first time somebody called me that, I said, and this is the guy I liked. I said, I said, well, Mick, what do you mean by that? His name was Mick Stevens, still friends today. He said, Larry McClendon, you're progressive educationally, but he said, you're so conservative religiously. I said, well, Mick, there's not an absolute standard as far as doing what's best for kids. There's not this absolute standard that came from God and says this is how you need to educate them. But there is an absolute standard in regard to religion. And it's the word of God. And then in the same conversation, the person said, well, your generation, I always love that. Don't you love that when they, they try to codify our generation? He said, your generation is just traditional. And I just started laughing. My generation? I grew up in the 60s and 70s. My generation is traditional? I said, we wanted a revolution from everything. And I said, if we kept doing that, and thanks be to God, I became a Christian when I was 18. If I hadn't, I'd be dead. I was out there. Thanks be to God that I obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, you know what our generation finally had to do? We had to grow up or we'd all be dead. We grew up. We became solid citizens, as Dean Bullitt would say. And that's what all of us have to do. We finally have to grow up. Understand the Word of God is the Word of God. Be clear about the Word of God. Understand that faithful living means we go out there and we work for the Lord. That we are saved by the grace of God, but it's by faith in Christ Jesus, and that faith motivates us to be better people, to to be better citizens in this world. And have the disposition of mind, we're going to try to do our best to save people in this world by the powerful gospel of Christ. 
Paul wanted Timothy to continue to grow up spiritually. So I guess, how can we set the example to others in the kingdom of Christ? How can we be a living recommendation and a living demonstration of the doctrine of Christ? Well, Paul says, first of all, you do that in word or speech. And and this refers to what we teach from the word of God and also what we say in our daily conversation. When you leave here this morning, if you go out to eat, how are you going to speak to the waitstaff in this town? Are, are our words going to be with kindness, generosity, love, consideration to the work they do? We are lights, as Tim said in his prayer, we are lights to this world, and we need to live it. Notice Matthew chapter 12, how Jesus put it in regard to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 34, he says of the Pharisees, O brood of vipers, have you ever called somebody, a bunch of people, y'all, y'all just a bunch of brood of vipers. But Jesus knew their hearts. How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of a good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil, out of the evil treasure brings forth the evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, notice, and by your words you will be condemned. And we said it refers to what we teach from the word of God. And we know Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or building up, that we may impart grace to the hearers. Let me just ask you, when this service ends, how many people in this audience are you going to build up? How many people in this audience are you going to talk about what's right with them? How many people are you going to pat on the back? How many people are are you going to say you love them? How many people are you going to hug and say that you are my brother or sister in Christ? That's something that's active, that we become close because we're a family of God. And we need to act like it. I was with my four other brothers this week and there was a lot of hugging going on because we put our dad in assisted living at his request. And let me me tell you, you uh, adults, uh, and Christian and I are going to do this. I mean, it's just right in your face. Uh, Clean out your house before you (laughs) you die. (laughs) It took my younger brother and I two days to clean out the garage. And Daddy would have died of a heart attack if he saw those 30 big trash bags go to his front yard. We need to love each other. 
We need to stand for truth. Don't misunderstand me at all. I want to be clear on that. It has to be a stand of truth, but it has to be in love, consideration, and kindness. That's why the psalmist said, Let the words of your mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. This reminds us that the word of God is the standard for our teaching and it is our guide for acceptable communication with others. When, when Christy and I were, uh, our first work after we were married was in Groveton. That's why Reagan was born in Woodland Heights. And the oldest woman in the congregation, she came up to me after a lesson, 88 years old, and said, uh, that was awful. <laughs> and then she turned around and just walked out. <laughs> There's some things you don't ever forget. <laughs> and then that night, that 88-year-old woman, 88-year-old woman came up to me and she said, I only have one thing to say to you. And this was her apology. I need to let my speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that I may know how to answer each one. And I said, thank you. So let's be an example also in conduct. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus deals with this very well. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that he gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, our saltiness is based on a passion to live godly and righteous lives. And when we lose that passion for godliness, we lose our ability to change the world. We become as worthless to the cause of Christ as useless salt that is thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. Earnhardt notes, citizens of heaven's kingdom were destined to be the salt to stay sin's rot and the light to penetrate the, its dark despair. Though we are very much in the world, we must never become worldly. The salt must not lose its saltiness. Our Savior rests in the holy distinctiveness of our lives and character. So Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We are that healing agent or saving influence to bring the world to Christ. And we are the spice or godly influence that makes Christianity attractive to the world. He says a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. We're luminaries. And we must be clearly seen by those around us. We cannot become an island to ourselves while being a faithful follower of Jesus. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. 
And it gives light to all who are in the house. Our lives as Christians are for the purpose of illuminating the truth of the gospel to those around us. And if we are hiding our good lives from the world, we are hiding our saving influence and are no longer luminaries for the Lord. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our shining light is one of the effective means of guiding others to Christ. We shine our lights so others will see our good works and be led to glorify our Father who is in heaven. We are lights of the world, not for the purpose of being seen and praised by men, but to have a saving influence on others and to glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1, chapter 1 and verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But this walk that is worthy of God must be with lowliness, with humility, and gentleness or temper of spirit, with long-suffering, suffering long for others, and bearing with one another in love, enduring patiently with agape love, looking after the others' best interests without expecting anything in return. You want a long marriage? I have to look at after Christie's best interests without expecting anything in return. And she has to look after my best interests without expecting anything in return. You do that, you have a long, enduring marriage. Want to be effective in the world? Look after people's best interests without expecting anything in return. You want to be a good parent? Look after your kids' best interests without expecting anything in return. You want to be a good grandparent? Look after your grandkids' best interests without expecting anything in return. And just let them do whatever they want. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. And then, we need to be example in love. This, this is agape love. Looking after others' best interests without expecting anything in return. And I think the best passage in regard to that is 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 4. I 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. And I read this at every wedding I do. Love suffers long, it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures. All things. Notice how love suffers long. Love is long-tempered. 
Do we have love? If we do, we're long-tempered. Love is kind. It's this goodness of heart. Kindness motivates us to do our duty with the right attitude. Love is not jealous. It does not act with bitter and envious resentment of the good which appears to another. This type of love rejoices when others rejoice and weeps when others weep. Love does not, love does not brag. It does not sound its own praises. Love is not arrogant. It does not have an inflated ego. The number one problem that can be in the church is pride. If we could eliminate that out of the church of our Lord, we wouldn't have any problems. Love does not act unbecomingly. Love is courteous, decent, and good. Love does not seek its own. Love considers the wants and needs of others. Love is not provoked. Love is not constantly irritated and does not have a chip on its shoulder. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not keep a record of evil rendered so as to return. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love is filled with sadness toward wrongdoing of any kind. Love rejoices with the truth. Love and truth here are personified and rejoice together. They are both triumphant in life. And if we love the truth totally and love one another supremely, there will always be cause for great rejoicing. Love bears all things. Love is not overwhelmed by evil. Love believes all things. Love is optimistic. I love this one. Love is optimistic and believes the best about others. Love hopes all things. Love has a desire and expectation of the best in others until contrary evidence is overwhelming. Love endures all things. Love has steadfast endurance even in trying circumstances. So whatever life throws our way, we will endure. We will prevail. We will never give up. And then... We need to be an example in spirit. Now, understand most translations do not have this. The King James and the New King James do. And in, in the context of this idea in spirit is to have the proper attitude of heart and mind that we see with Jesus at telling the Samaritan woman at the well, true worshipers shall worship the the Lord in spirit and in truth. We know truth is just according to truth, but what about spirit there? It's the same idea with the proper attitude of heart and mind. And that's how we need to go through life, with proper attitudes and heart and mind. And then we need to be an example in faith. You see, one piece of armor at our disposal as Christians is the shield of faith by which we will be able to quench the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one, Ephesians 6.16. And we know that true faith comes by hearing and obeying the word of God, Romans 10.17, and it allows us to have an undeniable trust in God and his word and have the courage to be willing to die for the cause of Christ. And this type of faith overcomes temptation, fear, worry, lust, greed, envy, and all other fiery darts of the devil that try to destroy us spiritually. And then lastly, 
We need to be an example in purity. I am so thankful that when you're baptized into Christ, you can have all your sins washed away. Because when I was baptized into Christ, I had my sins washed away, and I knew it. No greater feeling have I ever had in my life than the day I was baptized into Christ. And after I was baptized, I remember my Uncle Bobby, when he took my confession, he started out by saying, oh, what a glorious day. And then when we were headed back to, to the back to get ready to be, for me to be baptized, he just said to the congregation, oh, what a glorious day. And I didn't know how glorious it was to the people. You never know how people react. There wasn't a dry in the building. That was their response. My grandmother, I couldn't even talk to her. She was just bawling. Tears of joy. And it reminds us that we need to always have pure thoughts, motives, and actions in this life. We must guard our every thought, word, and action. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And those who are pure in heart have clean, sincere, genuine, and real motives and desires. They are also utterly sincere and absolutely honest and single of heart toward God. That's how we have to be. And it's totally opposite of manipulation, hypocrisy, and coercion. That goes back to the false teacher. That's one of their methods, two of their methods, rather. Coercion and hypocrisy. And the third one is manipulation. And those who are pure in heart will enjoy fellowship with God in this life and the life to come. And ladies and gentlemen, if we all continue to work on being an example in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity, think about where we will be spiritually in five years or ten years. Think about where this church will be in five years or ten years. We will all be stalwarts in the faith and still on fire for the Lord and the souls of men. And this will result in our spiritual family being filled with knowledge, loving attitudes, and purity of thought, motive, and action. When I obeyed the gospel, I spent three months... I was senior in high school. I'd drive my old 68 Pontiac, I think Pontiac Catalina, green. Paid $700 for it. I'd drive to school, wait till the bell rang, go to class, go to my athletic events, and go home. I did that three months. Why? Because I couldn't be around my worldly friends. Did not want to have any chance of falling away. And then one day, it was probably a little bit after the three months, one of my friends in the world named Billy May, a little guy, about that tall, he came up and he grabbed me by my shirt 
And he pulled me close to where we were just right here, his face right in my face. He said, I want the old Larry back. Where's the old Larry? Where's that guy? And I said, well, the old Larry is dead. And he's not coming back. And he just said, the old Larry's not going to come back. I said, no, he's not. I said, okay. The old Larry's dead. Ladies and gentlemen, the old Larry wanted to go to heaven. And that's why I obey the gospel. And I want to spend my life trying to strive for the prize of the gift of God which, in Christ Jesus, which is heaven. And if you're not a Christian, we invite you to start your journey in service to Christ. And you can do it. You can repent of your sins and confess Jesus as Christ and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And, and the Lord knows your heart if you're not living right. If you have some personal sin, pray to the Lord, forgive you. But if you have something that's public in nature, get it right with not only the Lord but this church. Will you come while together we stand and sing? Come to Jesus, he will save.